that working? Yeah, we're good. All right. And it really is a great joy. And to see, it's wonderful, but this is a great, this is a great church. Man, this is wonderful. You're so friendly and so warm and so loving. And uh, I don't know where you get that from. It's not your pastor. <laughs> no, I kid. Listen, I tell you this. You don't know how blessed you are to have, well, I'm sure you probably do, but maybe you take it for granted, such a wonderful pastoral family. Uh, we don't do half of what your pastor and his wife do, and it wears, it wears me out. And I don't know how they do what they do. What a blessing they are. And I really, truly hope you appreciate that. And I hope every once in a while, not too often, don't want to get big-headed, but every once in a while, I hope you remember to tell them that because this truly is a very special place and we picked that up in such a short period of time. And while I'm saying that also, can I just say a gracious and a really heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you for, for prayerfully considering and taking us on as missionaries. You don't know what that means to us and it came out of the blue and we're so thankful for that, you know, where do we turn our hearts today? Where do we give of our time, talent, and treasure? There's so many needs, so many people to be saved, and we truly thank you that the Lord has led you to be such a blessing to me, Dawn, and uh, Eleanor, and my two other daughters, and but to our, to our church and the work we're trying to do over there in in Exeter. I won't spend much time to tell you about us. We're going to be here tonight at early six o'clock, as uh, Brother Eric said. Uh, to meet and greet. Brother, to say this in case you're not there tonight, uh, we are from Exeter down in the southwest of England, right down there in God's country, tucked away. And we're just, we're just trying to do whatever the Lord enables us to do. We want to reach lost souls there and like yourselves all around the world. And we, we've got a particular door opening up. We're having a, a great number of Muslim families move into the area. It's traditionally down that end, it's been quintessential middle class white cucumber sandwich cricket play in England. That's what it is down there. And, but within the last couple of years, there's been a huge influx. So we're doing a lot of work at the moment. We're going through sort of a 12, 15-week series on winning Muslims to Christ. Will you pray for us about that? We really want the Lord to, to open the door and help us get what we need from the Word of God to reach some of these Muslim families for Christ, to win them, uh, for them to know the joy, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and hopefully then to reach many other Muslim families down there as the city starts to change. So pray that God will help us to do that. We, we work with the children and we run the bus ministry and all of those things that you're doing here, we're trying to do, we're trying to emulate. What you, we'd love to the Lord bless us and be found faithful enough to have such a wonderful church as you've got here. We've got wonderful people and I thank the Lord for it, but this is a real special encouragement to us to be here today. So thank you to you all, each and every one of you. I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Now, I know you've been uh, looking at missions uh, this month, and uh, I come in, and it's, it's a little odd sometimes, isn't it? When you come to another place, you sort of, you drop in at the end of something, and I know nothing about what you've done this month other than what I can glean. I don't know what messages you've had. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've heard. And all of a sudden, this stranger drops in, and all of a sudden, you know, I think, give me something. Please give me something, Lord. Now, I've been really praying that the Lord would would just help me to, to, to give you faithful people something this morning. You take the time, the trouble, you come out, this strange person comes in and, uh, and your regular pastor who knows you, knows your hearts, knows your struggles, knows everything that you go through, sits down and a complete stranger gets in front of the pulpit. And it's always my prayer, and it truly is this morning, that God will, will help me to bless, bless every one of you this morning in some way from his word because you've been so faithful to come today. So please do pray that God will 
leading me this morning. And, you know, it, I thought, you know, missions, uh, wh- what is it? Really, what, what is it? How do we speak about it? You hear, you know, missions should be this, missions should be that, we should do this, we should do that. Here's a strategy, here's a plan. You know, call the young people to go on missions, call the old people to go on missions. They're retired, call them to go to the Middle East. What does it matter? We're going to die anyway. Go off and do so. You know, and you come up with all this stuff. And it's very, I'm sorry if they find that offensive. I hope you won't. Your pastor said this morning, you know, sometimes we've got to get that balance between the positive and the negative. I think that was what you said, brother, this morning. We've had the positive. Here comes the negative. No, no. <laughs> but it is true. We do need to have a very balanced Christian, Christian life. But I just thought this, you know, it wouldn't it be boring if we were all exactly the same? Because there's a danger within our, our Christian lives and within our churches that we all do things our own little way and then if we get involved with missions, we want everything else to go the way it normally is for us and we want to replicate and duplicate what we've done so perfectly and we want to make clones of ourselves and clone churches of our churches. And there's a danger that we can do that. And it reminds me actually of the molecular biologist who, who was a, a very skilled man and a, a very articulate man and he, he, thought, he thought a lot of himself and thought it would be a good idea if he, if he made a clone of himself. Not only would it be a good legacy, he thought, but he, he also thought it would be great if he could get twice the work done and get, get much achieved. So he cloned himself and it was successful and this clone looked like him, walked like him, smelled... I mean, it was an exact image in every single way except this clone was just a foul mouth cursor and the scientist didn't know what to do and he tried to encourage him, you know, you know, can't you speak like me? And the clone would say, why don't you blankety-blanketing mind your own business and... And this went on. He thought, whatever am I going to do? Because he looks like me in every way. People are going to think that is, that is me. And he came to the end of his wits and he didn't know what to do and he came up with a plan. So he went to his clone one day and said, we're going to go and take a walk up the mountain and we're going to watch this glorious sunset together. And the clone says, what a blankety-blanketing stupid idea. What a blankety-blanketing idiot you are. And he, anyway, he dragged him along and they go up the mountain and they stood right on the edge of the cliff and they're watching this beautiful sun coming down. And the doctor, he turned to his clone, he said, isn't that just a wonderful thing to behold? Aren't you so glad you came? And the clone said, what a blankety-blankety stupid idea, what a blankety-blankety waste of time. And the doctor just snapped, he'd had enough, and he put his hand, pushed his clone over the cliff, and down he went and died. And the doctor thought, well, at least that solved that problem. And he came back down and hoped that nothing would uh, come of it. But eventually somebody found the body one day and, Police were called, as they usually are in those cases, and <laughs> they tended to want to do something about it. And, uh, of course, it was blindly obvious. They, they thought it was the doctor. They thought he was dead. His genes were the same. His looks were the same. So they went round the house, and they were surprised to find the doctor there alive. And so they arrested him. And they took him to the police station. He was interviewed, and he told everything what happened. And, and finally, they, they didn't see his side of things, and, and they charged him, and they sent him to court. Do you know what he was charged with? making an obscene clone for. <laughs> making an obscene clone for. They got it? They got it. Thank you. So what are you saying? <laughs> what I'm saying is there can be... The point is... Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> the point is there can be inherent dangers in trying to get everyone to do things just like we do them, to try and get everyone to behave and look and believe and think the same as we think. And that's a danger, I think, when I come in this morning to preach because I don't want to come in here this morning and try and say, look, look, this is how we should do this and this is how you should do that. But the point is, 
We're involved in missions and it's a missions month. So what is it that we can share that is the same? What is it that we can find that is continuous and consistent among us? And that is quite simply this, our hearts. Missions is about the heart. It's about our hearts. It doesn't matter what country we're in. It doesn't matter what background we have. It doesn't matter what church we go to. To reach a lost and dying world for the Lord Jesus Christ consistently, continually and blessedly, it's about the heart. If you have a heart for evangelism in your local church, you will have a heart for missions around the world, for world missions Because, quite simply, world missions is just local evangelism. It's always local to someone, isn't it? When we get a prayer letter, it doesn't matter which country it comes from, it doesn't matter from which part of the world, it is local to them. They are doing what we are doing, and if you have a heart locally, you'll have a heart nationally, you'll have a heart internationally to reach the lost of the world. As believers, we want to meet, we want to gather, we want to have instruction, we want to pray, we want to sing, we want to love the Lord... Together we want to care for one another. And most of these things have a a relationship to God, but also relationship to one another. And I took some survey figures. Now, these are American figures. They always are. No one else seems to do any surveys, praise the Lord. But listen, it said 89% of church members believe the church's purpose is, and I quote, to take care of my needs and those of my family. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and that's admirable, but nearly 90% of people involved in that survey believe that was the priority of the local church, to meet my needs. Only 11% said this, the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. 11%, friends. I'm thankful that you're in that 11% this morning. Uh, Barna, George Barna, does a lot of these surveys. I'm sure you're familiar with him, Pastor. He wrote a book, and uh, I've not read the book, I've not read this book, I'm not recommending it or promoting it, but I took this line from it. And the book was called Evangelism That Works. And it says, most churches have only a small group of people who have a passion for evangelism. And Barner asked three probing questions. And this is the first one. Do people own evangelism as the heartbeat of ministry? The second one is, is evangelism deemed the highest priority in the church, the highest priority. And the third question is, have the people caught a vision for reaching non-believers that gives the church definition, energy and direction? They are probing questions, but his conclusion uh, is even worse. He concludes by saying, if not, if those are not the three priorities of the church, if not, the organisation is not truly a church, but simply a group of people intrigued by religion. Isn't that the truth today, friends? I I pray that you're not cold about reaching the lost this morning. Uh, A question I have to ask myself so often, and I pray that you do too, is do I really care about lost people? Do you really care about lost people? Or do I really care and do you really care that someone else really cares about lost people? That's a question we have to ask ourselves this morning. You know, when I say, well, we care for the lost, and I really care and hope that somebody else cares for the lost, and I care enough to care that someone else cares, but do I care for the lost? That's the question, because the commandment from the Lord Jesus Christ is go. It's not woe, it's not slow, it's go. We are not to wait for people to come to us. We're not to wait for the lost to come to us. We're not to try and develop a church that is so nice that people will come 
to us because they'll hear all about the nice church and, the, and this is a nice church. This is really, honestly, you know, Pastor and Eric and John and the youngsters, they've been to our church. This is a nice church. And it's got nice people and I'm sure many people in Ballancolic will have heard about the nice church here at Bible Baptist Church and they will come because it really is nice. You get fed <laughs> halfway through the service. You stop for a meal. I'm glad to see some, I'm, I'm glad to see some things haven't changed in, in Southern Ireland and you still value the cup of tea. That's brilliant. We love that. Now, but let me say this, and most important, let me take my watch off because I know what time I've got to finish today. You know, we've only got a couple of hours here this morning. <coughs> you know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off, right? Nothing, nothing. It means nothing. It's just to try and give a bit of hope. But let me say this. <coughs> Our aim in missions is not to be nice enough that people will come to us. Can you imagine that of the church of Jerusalem? Can you imagine that in that first? Just, well, you know, we just want to build a church in Jerusalem that is so nice people are going to come to us. They were changing their world. They were turning the world upside down around them. Why? They were causing conflict with the local authorities. They were causing conflict within families. They were turning the world upside down. I don't think there were many people around Jerusalem who were saying, we need to go and visit that really, really nice church. You know, uh, Jesus Christ, just read Matthew 10. I mean, he's separating fathers from daughters and sons from, and separating everybody. It doesn't mean you've got to be offensive, but it also doesn't mean that our evangelism strategy has got to be based on being nice. The truth can sometimes be offensive. Jesus Christ the Lord would have his people to be on the offensive, not the defensive. Not to be offensive, but to be on the offensive to go out into a lost and dying world and learn to love the unlovable, to roll up our sleeves. It's a fishing boat. It is not a cruise ship. And that's what we need to make sure we're on the fishing boat, you know. Uh, in the 1930s, the French built, betwe- between the First and Second World Wars, the French built the Maginot Line. Those of you who may have heard of it who like a bit of history. And this was a structure of concrete and steel with gun terraces, the likes of which the world had never seen. They were preparing for the defensive. They were hunkering down and no one was going to get through this thing. They didn't want to go out. They wanted to stay in and they built it. Uh, but you know what they hadn't planned for? The Blitzkrieg. The lightning war of the Germans. German engineering and German mobility reduced that Maginot line to a pile of rubble. You say, what are you saying? If we've got to go out and blow people up. No, I, I'm just saying this that the Maginot Line became a useless pile of concrete in the face of the superior mobility of the German armies. God wants us to be a mobile people centred from our local church but not hunkered down in our local church able to get out. This is true in our Christian evangelism. This is true in local and world missions. Jesus Christ knew this. That's why he said go. If we fortify ourselves in the comfort of our local churches, we will lose this battle and we will not fill our Lord's command. Those who conquer, we can see this even in the world around us, those who conquer never stand still. I'm so thankful for your pastor. I can't tell you how much he inspires me. He is a visionary, as I've said. I was thankful to meet him nearly six years ago now and they preached a message that just impacted my heart challenge me and every once in a while and I hear and see something it spurs me uh, you know it, it, it pricks me I just think you've just been so lazy get out and do something more and I'm thankful for such men of God who challenge us and, and lead and show the way 
You see, the Great Commission, quite simply, it's local in scope, but it's got a vision for the world, isn't it? We start it within our own Jerusalem. We have a personal duty to have a dependency upon our local church, but to also with a vision for the world and church planting. Because the Great Commission that God has given to us still involves a compassionate God, a compelling message, and a commissioned people. We are a commissioned people. Our God is missions-hearted. Our God is missions-hearted, and, and that's what I'm talking about, the heart this morning. We can be missions-minded, and that's fantastic. But individually, we need to be missions-hearted. It's the heart that makes the difference. The gospel the Lord has given us is a heartfelt missions message for the world. It isn't for us just to be contented in as we gather in the local church. If the gospel message could not save every sinner, it would not be a gospel message and it would not have been given to us and we wouldn't have any reason whatsoever to go into all the world and take it and preach it to every creature. It's all about the heart. Just... uh, Don't turn there this morning, but uh, I'll just flick to Proverbs. The heart is the issue. The heart is the root. The heart is the thing that we need to get success in. In Proverbs, I just want to read two verses from Proverbs. Uh, We will get to our text this morning, but I just want to read you two verses from Proverbs because honestly, whatever I say this morning, whatever God leads you to this morning, if God can help us with our hearts, we have the victories. Proverbs uh, 4.23 Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then over in Proverbs 23, 26, we see the Lord pleading with us today. Uh, Proverbs 23, 26 says this, My son, give me thine heart. Give me thine heart. That's what the Lord is asking for. And let thine eyes observe my ways. We sometimes get it the other way around. We say, Lord, help me to have my eyes observe your ways. But the Lord says, give me your heart and everything else will follow. It is a matter about the heart. Now that said this morning, would you open your Bibles please to Luke? Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. I want to look at a situation about the heart. Now, as you turn into Luke chapter 12, let me just talk to you about Luke chapter 11 by way of introduction as you go up there. You know, we've got the Lord Jesus Christ coming through some lessons. He's teaching the disciples, Jewish disciples, how to pray about the kingdom. He's he's, he's talking about spiritual things. He's trying to get their mind on spiritual things. He's talking about the fact the Father in heaven gives good and perfect gifts. You know, he won't give you a a serpent. He won't give you a, a scorpion. He's saying, you know, if you're evil and know how to give good gifts, what about your Father in heaven? And then he's saying, I'm not casting out devils through the power of Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. He's saying, I'm doing it from the power of my Father in heaven with God's power. He's directing them heavenwards all the time. And he's talking about the difference and the distinctives between Satan and his kingdom of darkness and the Saviour and his kingdom of light. And he's saying, you know, those that are blessed that hear the word of God and keep it. He's he's talking about it's, it's got to be put into practice, but it's got to be heard from heaven. He's talking about the signs of Jonah. He's talking about, he's showing them heavenly things, the light that must be from within and it must be set forth. And then he comes and starts to talk about the Pharisees and he's talking about hypocritical religion and he's trying to point them heavenward. He's trying to draw their hearts toward God. Then he's talking about the scribes and the lawyers and so on and so forth. And, and everywhere he's pointing, he's pointing to everything he can see around him. 
Everything that people are doing is trying to take their hearts and lift them heavenward. And everything is saying is being received in a worldly way. And the Lord is saying, look up, give your heart to the Lord. And we come to Luke chapter 12 and there's a multitude that are gathered together. There's a multitude that are there. And he's saying, look, nothing's covered, nothing's hidden. Every idle word that men speak, they should give account thereof in the day of judgment. He's saying, everything is spiritual. Everything is seen by the Father. Everything good comes from above. He said, don't fear what man thinks. Don't fear the false religion. Fear him who hath power to cast you into hell, he said. He's trying to draw to the fear of God. Things should be done from the fear of God because our hearts are towards God. He talks about the sparrows. He talks about the hair on our head and I won't comment on that. And he just continues to go on and to go on and to go on. He's preaching. He's preaching his heart out. He's preaching truth. He's preaching a heartfelt message. And then one, if you're in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, for in pouring out spiritually about the things of heaven and the things of the heart, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. The Lord Jesus Christ is preaching to the people about their hearts and about heaven and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's pointing and then one in the congregation said, I got this problem, Pastor. I got a problem with my brother. It happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. It ever happened to you, Pastor? You know, I mean, you've, you've just preached your heart out. You're getting the people to go heaven when you go. The first thing is, oh, oh, Pastor, I got this real problem with my energy connection at home and the electricity company. It happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, God wants our hearts and our minds heavenward. If only for the time before with the word of God, but even Jesus found the same. And verse 14, he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then he said to them, now if you will, at verse 15, let's just pick up our reading there. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, and can I just say as we go through these passages, I found it a very useful practice in my Bible to underline the eyes and the mys. Where you get a lot of eyes and mys together, you're on Satan's territory. You're on Satan's ground. When you get a lot of time in your own speech when, uh, you know, I will and I will do this and, uh, and I'm so glad we could do that and my this and my that. Be careful, believer. If the Lord will, praise be to God. We, we need to redefine our speech in this contemporary age because even in trying to be spiritual, we're always pointing to ourselves unintentionally. And when we read it in the Scriptures and we underline these things, it will help us to get our hearts heavenward. And he thought within himself, verse 17, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
May I say this morning before we go to the Lord in prayer as well, uh, would you not think of richness and treasure in terms of finances? That's not what I'm talking about. They only play a part of what the Lord wants. I want you to think about the richness of our heart, the treasure of our heart, and the richness and the treasure that is found in our heart that is drawn high, holy, and heavenward. God can do great and amazing things through his children whose hearts are for the Lord and for his work his will, and his way. Should we just take a moment and bow our heads in prayer? Our Father, we come before you this morning. I confess, Lord, this matter of missions, this matter of reaching the lost sometimes can seem like a conundrum to us. And sometimes, Lord, we want to come up with the right strategy. We want to come up with the right approach. We, through a genuine and sincere desire, Lord, truly want to reach the lost. We want them to have what we have found, that contentment that we can find in Jesus Christ and Him alone, that salvation, that assurance of our future in heaven that can only be found in Christ alone. And Father, we may sometimes be like the Jews who had a zeal, but Father, without knowledge and sometimes even in ignorance of our own devices, Lord, we concentrate so much on the outward and forget about the heart that needs to be drawn towards you. So God in heaven, I pray you'd help us, help each and every one of us this morning to realize that reaching the lost through uh, church missions, through the gospel commission, is just a matter of the heart. Help us, Lord, this morning. God, help me. Father, help me give these good people who've come out to church this morning, Father, desiring to receive something from your word, to be encouraged, to be edified, to be uplifted, to be exhorted, Lord, to be commissioned, commanded, called, challenged if need be, Lord. God, whatever it is, I pray you'd give us all something this morning. Help my words. God, it is phenomenal to be here this morning in this church, Father. We thank you for your spirit, which is clearly evident. We pray by your word, Lord, you'd speak to us this morning. Lead us and draw us, but Father, Deal with our hearts, Lord, we pray. Help us to learn, Lord, from this very poor example that we may not follow in our lives, this pattern. Lord, help us to get something positive from something negative. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we have a problem with this guy. The Lord Jesus Christ uses this as an example. And and how can we bring this to bear really in the area of missions, I wonder? And with the Lord's help this morning, I hope he'll help us with our hearts in the, in the time that we've got left today. And firstly, we see this in verse 17, as we look and see, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? In planning for himself, he forgot his neighbour. What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? The man was blessed. The man was given abundance. The man was given fruit beyond measure. The man had more than he could ever deal with and his thought did not go, what shall I do with this superfluity? What shall I do with this abundance? How can I be a blessing to others? How can I find where there's a need? Those were not his first thoughts. His first thoughts were, how can I stash my stuff so I can put something up for tomorrow? Friends, in this 21st century, I'm fearful that we as Christians have been infected by some of the same things. In planning for ourselves, we're forgetting about our neighbours. It's good to plan, 
God does all things decently in order, and I'm not condemning planning in any way. But friends, you know, if you look and you listen to the call of the world today, which challenges us as Christians, you know, we've got to leave school, we've got to get the money for our university education, we've got to make sure we've got the money for our first car, we've got to make sure that we put enough by from our first job, and we've got to be diligent enough so we can increase our salary. We need to increase our salary so we can get married and buy a house. We need to get married and buy a house, then we need enough to raise up the children. Then we need enough for the children's education. We need enough to get through life. Then we're getting older. Then we need to make sure we've got enough stashed in our pension pot so it's going to take us through our old days. But once I've got all that sorted, then then I'm on for the Great Commission. Then I'll, you know, Lord, I'm with you. Let's reach the lost. And when I get to 87, I will. You can have all my surplus. <laughs> and that's a little flippant, isn't it? But there is... There is a danger because there's so many demands on us today. And I'm not talking just about money, am I? Finance is one thing, but demands of family, demands of career, demands of even of church. You know, we're going to get in, we're going to get tracked, and we're going to go to the nurses. We're going to do all these great... There are so many demands, and we're planning, and we're scheduling, and we're changing. But sometimes, we, in just trying to get our own lives in order, and just trying to get some balance... We forget about our neighbour. I've forgotten which proverb it is. I can't remember, but the Lord says, you know, if you give to the poor, it's the same as lending to the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to think the Lord was going to give us something because we gave to the poor? All I'm saying is, in the planning, let's not be like this fool. Let's not spend so much time planning and storing and stashing for ourselves that we forget our neighbour. Let's not forget what is being greatly lost across the wider body of Christianity today. When Paul wrote that epistle to the Thessalonians, he said, for we which are alive and remain. He was expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, right then, and this is the situation today. We're expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ once my college is out the way, once my car is out the way, once my... We know we're, we're, we're planning and we should plan, but we've, we've shifted the emphasis so far that until we've got the surplus part, then the Lord can return. We've got to remember our neighbours. We've got to think about those. You see, uh, I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Friends, these eyes and mys that we see here draw us to the thoughts of the devil in Isaiah 14. I will ascend. I will rise above the stars of God. I will, I will, I will, I will. And those are the marks of Satan and his pride. You know, we're to be, we're to be clothed in humility. We're to cast all our care upon him because he careth for us, First Peter 5 says. We must remember to put some trust in the Lord because the world is pointing us into fear. The world wants Christians in fear. That's what Satan wants. I'm fearful. I won't have enough for my old age. Isn't that the mantra that we hear? You know, the government's withdrawing. I don't know what it's like over here in Ireland, but it's prepare for your old age. Make sure you've got half a million put away so that when you, you know, you're sat and you're old and you're dribbling and, and somebody, you know, and somebody from Eastern Europe is looking after your relative, you need this half a million. And it's a fear factor. We've stopped trusting in God. You know, I, I, say, I said it like this. My mother is starting to suffer a little bit from dementia and I wouldn't, and it's a, it's a, you know, these things are terrible. But, but I've drawn this to my Christian life because, you know, you think, well, what if I get old? What if I get dementia? What if I haven't got enough money put away? And, you know, all those thoughts went out of the way when I went to the ministry. It becomes irrelevant. Money's an irrelevance when you're in the ministry. You've never got any. But I thought it like this. Well, well if, if God sought to give me that, 
God will give me a brain at that point, then I won't care what I haven't got because I won't realise I haven't got it. And praise God, somebody got saved with, with what we could use when we had it and we had the right mindset. May God help every one of us to plan for our neighbours. Put a thought to yourself. Families, we, I got three daughters, two of them are grown up and married now and our youngest, Eleanor, is with us. You do have to plan and you do have to provide. Those that provideth not for those of his own household are worse than a what? An infidel. That, but that's, can I say to you this morning, that's not just provision of finances. That's provision of security. That's provision of love. That's provision of nurture. It's provision of all things, not just finances, my friends. Let us not be like this man. Let us not forget our neighbour. Secondly, we see, look at verse 18. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now, if you would, just take a moment, turn to Psalm 24, please, if you would, Psalm 24. All my goods. This is what this fool said. And friends, I've got to tell you, I was an absolute fool. I was an idiot before I was saved. You know, I really thought that I could make things go my way with a little hard work and a little effort. And do you know what the trick of the world is? It, it lets you think that they are. You know, the more I work, the more I scheme, the more I, do, the more I can get, the more I can have, and then, and then all will be good. But, but you know, when you're young, you don't realise you're going to get older. When you're young, you don't realise you're not going to have the energy when you're older that you did when you were younger. This is the trick that it all plays on you, isn't it? And you're always striving when you've got something, you're after the next thing, and so on and so forth. Can I say this? In counting them his goods... He forgot who the giver was. Psalm 24 and verse 1, I'm sure you know it well. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. If we forget who the giver is of our gifts, then we end up just like this man. I will pull down my barns. I will uh, build greater. You know, I will fill them more. I will provide more. I'll pro- and it could be through a good... I'll have more for my family in the future. Aren't we forgetting who gives us our life and our breath and our being? You know, as Christians, friends, we, we need never to forget that God is the giver. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is... We're His children. If you're saved in here this morning, you're a child of the Lord. You're a child of promise. You're a child of God. May I just stop for a moment and say this? I don't want to assume anything this morning. If you're not saved, can I tell you, you're not a child of God. The Bible says you're a child of wrath. You've got a dim future ahead of you. If you're still in your sins, and uh, I'm not going to take the time to unpack this morning. If you've been to this church this morning, I think somebody said there were no visitors. I know you will have already heard here that sins are what separate us from a holy God. Our sins of omission, our sins of commission, the things we do that we shouldn't, the things that we didn't do that we should, the thoughts, the words, the actions, the deeds that are offensive to God, that break His holy laws, separates us from God, promise a future with our Father the devil separated from God in the eternal, everlasting lake of fire. You're not a child of God. And friend, you have to thank Him anyway for all the things that He gives you. You say, I'm not saved and I'm breathing. Yes, God is good, isn't He? 
You say, I'm not saved. I've got money in my bank account. No church is only going to get hands on that. Isn't God good? But I want you to know this this morning. If you're not saved, that's as good as it's ever going to get for you. It's as good as it's ever going to get. And may I say to you, dear child of God, this morning you say, Brother Stuart, I agree with you, but I'm struggling. I mean, I'm burnt out. I'm worn out. I'm spent out. I'm I'm kitted out, I'm grandchilded out, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, I don't know which place to turn, then child of God, hang on, because that's as bad as it's ever going to get for you. It's all good news ahead. Look for the Lord, but remember, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I, I want to say this, God gave us the Great Commission, Mark 16, 15, Matthew 28, you're familiar with it, but Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So how can we do that? God's already given us what we need to do it. It's already here on this earth. He didn't say, go and do it now, see if you can fathom out how. He's already given us in this world everything we need to fulfill the Great Commission. We have the funds, the family, the finance, the time, the talent, the treasure. We have it in the church, the body of Christ around the world. We have it all already. You say, I don't have enough. You're rich this morning. I'm rich this morning. I could go to plenty of countries this morning and I could just pop out my wallet that's got a few of this weird money in it, this Euro things, these strange little bits of money. Very colourful. My daughter loves it, you know. <laughs> and the fact that I could go down there with, a, you know, my, my clothes hanger in. I got, a, I got a, another set of clothes to put on, some cash in my wallet. Do you know what makes, that makes me to most of the world? Rich. Rich. My God has never let me down. You know, my God was good to me before I was saved. Oh, he really was. And because my God was so good to me before I was saved, when I realized what he saved me from, then I wanted to be so good to him. I wanted to return back what God gives to me. I hope that's your heart this morning. Don't be like this man. In what you've gotten, I pray that God has blessed you mightily. I really have. God is not against wealth. God is not against money. Don't misunderstand me this morning in any way, shape or form. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. I have, I have prayed often. We've got a, a lot of work. We're looking at uh, moving church buildings. Those who've been to our church building, listen, there's a lot of things need doing on this building. And for a number of years I've been praying, oh God, would you give me men of skills? Or would you just give me one man with money? Either one will do. <laughs> <laughs> but in all honesty, do you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have the men with the skills. I'd rather have the men willing to labour with the hands. I'd rather have the men willing to work as a, as a team that we can do something for the Lord and I think that's what the Lord really wants for us to be like that let's not forget the giver let's not be like this man let's, let's draw our heart to missions you know I'm sure you get the letters from your, your missionaries and ours will come in that pile in the future as well and you read, and it, and you read it and your heart bleeds you know, Brother, uh, Brother Evan and Carmen Williams, we support those from our church as well. You read what's going on down there with the building and the blind school and all up in the valleys and the mountains and, and, the, and you just want to give and you want to give things. How can we? And then you get a letter from Brother Leighton up there and when they were looking to buy the men's home and I want to give and I want to give. And that's how, and you think, where, where does it end? It doesn't. It doesn't. Do you know why? Because we're, we're channels, not dams. You know, um, when I was young, let me just see what the time is. Yeah, I'll just give you this one quickly. When I was young, <laughs> Brother Craig knows me. 
<laughs> when I was young, you know, I used to like fishing when I was young. I grew up, I, I went off course fishing when I got older. To me, it was, I was going to spend my time throwing the rod in the water. I want to bring something out that I can eat. All right. But I, I used to like course fishing then. And there's a place that me and my dad used to go to and there was a couple of lakes, you know. And, and if you didn't get there early to the one lake, you didn't get the best spot and you didn't get the best fish. And, and you know, it was a real battle to get the best places. But you took a walk and there was a, another lake and a pond down there. And I was only a little lad and, a, and there was never anybody down there. You know, and, and I'd say to my dad, I said, look, come down, Dad. We could go here. Look, there's nobody there. Nobody would bother us with the fish. And he said, son, take, take a look at this pond. And, you'd, you'd, you know, well, you didn't have to get too far before you could smell the thing for a start. And it was covered in algae. And you have all these bubbles coming up. Bloom, bloom, bloom. I'd say, Dad, look at the fish bubbles. he say, son, that's the gas that's trapped. i say, why? He said, it's because it's stagnant, son. I said, well, what, what, what's the difference between this one and that one? He said, it's stagnant, son, because water comes into this one but water cannot go out. It's stagnant and that's why it smells. In the other one, the water flows in and the water flows out and there is life and there is fish and there is bread. I really hope we're not stagnant Christians. May we not become a blockage to what our God gives us so that people around the world are dying and going to hell. The people around the world and in Balancholic and in Exeter are dying and going to hell because I've become a dam, because I've become stagnant. May God help us to understand When we count them our goods, we are only stewards. God is the giver. I must move on for the sake of time. Look at verse 19, if you will. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It sounds like good advice, doesn't it? But can I say this? In providing for his body, he forgot his soul. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It seems all right on the surface. May God spare us from this age of the abomination of geriatric playboys. May God spare us from this age of uh, disco nightclubbing grannies. What is going on in this world? You know... I don't want to revisit yesterday. Families are blowing apart. You know, the oldest swingers in town are all over the place. They're, you know, they're developing incomes. They're getting new girlfriends. They're getting new boyfriends. They're, you know, 50 and 60 years of age. And they're eating, drinking, be merry for tomorrow we, we die. Oh dear, oh dear. I'm having fun. The body may be, the flesh may be experienced the pleasures of sin for a season. But in providing for the body, he forgot the soul. You see, you say, well, well, I, well, I'm a Christian and I'm planning and I'm planning ahead and I'm planning for my retirement. I'm planning for the years to come because when I retire, I'm going to have enough treasure so I can have leisure and pleasure. That's the retirement dream, isn't it? Put by for tomorrow. When you get to tomorrow, you know, you'll want some leisure. You'll want to be like these people. You know, I'll be on the cruise ship. I'll be fishing for blue marlin. I'll be surfing in Hawaii. And all these brochures that give it. If I'll just put enough by for my pension, I'll have leisure and pleasure in my elders. I'll serve the church now. So long as I can look for tomorrow where there's going to be a time of rest. This body's going to need some rest. What about your soul? What about the souls of the lost folks? Don't use your... Tr- you see... When we talk about richness, when we talk about the things we cover, it's not just money. I covet time. Time. I covet time. If God would convict me of a sin, I don't think it would be about what I do with my money. It would be about my desire to create some time. To steal some time from God to get back 
for me. Just, just a little time, Lord. But we don't have a lot of time. In providing for my body, for my needs. Am I forgetting the needs of the souls that are lost and dying to go to hell? Am I putting my interest before the Lord's interest? Am I providing my, for my body and forgetting about the souls of the lost? You know, uh, but Brother Stuart, you know, I, I work long hours. I've got a professional job. I'm a junior doctor. I'm this, I'm that and the other. And I'm not going to de- demean that. You know, I, uh, I've worked until I retired and went into the ministry and we only have to work one day a week. I understand I understand what it is for you guys. You know, we we just work on a Sunday. We put our feet up for the rest of the six days. Or so they say. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter what you do in life, whether you have a secular job, a non-secular job, you're in the ministry, you're not in the ministry, you're a mother, you're a grandmother, I understand the demands on time. Everybody is busy. Life is busy today. And there's some things we crave, some things we desire, and they're not wrong in and of themselves unless we get the balance right, unless we become like this guy. And I will say to my soul, there was much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink and be merry. Let's not be at ease in Zion. Let's not put so much focus on our body that we forget about the lost souls of the world. Be not weary in well-doing. Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. But if you are, carry on anyway. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. This fool was boasting of his next day. This fool was boasting of his tomorrow. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, Friends, it doesn't matter what we do or what we say as Christians, there will come a point in our life that it's getting out of shape, out of sync, out of the will and the way and the perfect centre of God's will God will speak to us. And maybe God is speaking to your heart this morning in some way he speaks in a still, small, quiet voice as he did with Elijah. And that's how it starts. But if we keep ignoring God, it gets a little louder and a little louder and a little louder and a little louder. But God said unto him, Thou fool! Those are words that I never want to hear at the judgment seat of Christ. I know I'm spared from eternal judgment, but... 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Romans 14.10 says, we, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Our works for Christ must be tried, whether they be wood, hay or stubble, tried by fire. Oh, I hope it's your prayer this morning that they just wouldn't burn up with stubble. That it's your desire this morning that what you do, you do for eternity. How you labour, you labour for eternity that God has your heart first and foremost and everything, everything is secondary to that. Everything is secondary to that. Not just for a time, not just for a season. When I get, when this comes, when I have, when, when, when. Tomorrow may never come for us, friends. It may never come. Don't plan on this leisure, treasure and pleasure. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided. In counting on time, he forgot eternity. We can get so sidetracked in secular time that we forget about the values of eternity. So is he, verse 21, that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Would you note the conditional conjunction? You can lay up treasure 
for yourself. You can plan, you can prepare, and you should do. You shouldn't be foolish with what God gives you. But he said, and is not rich toward God. That is a conditional conjunction. We've got to be rich toward God. Rich with our time, rich with our talent, rich with our treasure, rich with our pleasures. To pleasure in the Lord, encourage ourselves in the Lord. Don't count so much on time and plan so much on time that we forget about the eternal value, the eternal time scale. This is a blip. That's two people just dying. That's four people just coming into the world. Every second, two out, four in, two out, four in, two out, four in. We've never had... You say, look, 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 Brother Stuart, it's, it's hard to reach, but you know, they, they believe in science now, they believe in all these things, it's hard to get through with the Lord. They never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. It's no more difficult than it ever been. It is easier than it's ever been to take our part in the Great Commission. You say, what? There's more people. Don't worry about the time. Think about eternity. What value a soul? What value a soul? So is he. How fool. Who shall these things be? How big does the pot have to be for our children? What about if our children are Esau? I mean, Jacob was a bit of a mommy's boy and Jacob, you know, hung around his mommy's apron strings, but God chose the blessing to go there. What if we spend a labour and a lifetime as Christians building up for our children, making a pot, got to leave them in inheritance, got to provide for a house, society's going up, our kids are not going to have a chance, and they're nothing more than an Esau, pleasure-loving playboys who like to go out hunting. And the money gets lost in the world. Look how many rich people's children have become drug addicts and dropouts and squandered hundreds of thousands of pounds on nothing. That could happen to us as Christians if we don't put the Lord first. Don't count on time. Count on eternity. Let's bring this thing to a close. We're we're out of time and I'm sorry that I couldn't get to some things that I really should have planned better out. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward eternity. Verse 34, he said, what's the conclusion? What's the answer? What shall I do, brother? Verse 34. Verse 34, same chapter, Luke 12. This is the conclusion. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You say, well, you know, I, I really want to get involved in the outreach of the Bible Baptist Church. I want to be out in the streets tracting, but you know, I've got to give some time to my family. Put your family in the tracting. If your heart is in your family, put your family in the tracting and where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Bring your kids. I don't know how that runs out and I don't want to get into practicalities. What I'm saying is, you know, well, you know, I'm working on a career. I'm, I'm studying for my, for my PhD. Well, then, then do a PhD at the Bible Institute. Put your heart into that. Where your, where your treasure is. Is your heart with the things that the Lord treasures or is the, your heart with the things that you treasure? You see, because God is calling this man a fool and that's not a good word in the Bible, is it? Those of you that study the Bible and God is saying, this, this, man's a, this man's a fool. Now, he didn't say there was no God. The fool had said in his heart, there's no God. God says, this man's a fool because he said he thought everything was his. He forgot who gave the stuff to him. He forgot about his neighbor. He forgot about planning for eternity and he was sorting out. This man would be revered. If this man was in my church, I'd be, praise the Lord, we've got a rich man. But God says he's a fool. You know why? Because that rich man wouldn't give you anything. 
That rich man would bring you around his house and say, look what I've got. I've got a boat, an ATV, I've got a motorbike, I've got two garages. I've got 14 acres, I've got a million pound in the bank. And he said, praise the Lord. And he'd come in and put five pound in the offering on the Sunday. That's what he would do. And God says, you fool. We can so easily be slaves. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. I'm sure you've heard this phrase before. It's well worn, but I believe it's appropriate this morning from that wonderful missionary, Jimmy Elliott, the American missionary, who went to the Orca Indians. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Friends, I, I, I pray this morning that God has your heart. And I'm probably preaching to the converted this morning. But as blessed as you all are, as beautiful as you all are, as wonderful as it has been to meet so many of you, and you really are such sweet people. I know that even in my... I'm a sweet person as well sometimes. But I know that in my heart there are some of these issues that we just, even in trying to do what we should do and know to do for the Lord, sometimes our heart is still drawn to the practicality of the world and it tips the balance just a little bit too far. I didn't give you a title this morning, but the title is a question. Do you have a miserly heart or a missions heart? That's what God's saying in the text this morning. Do we have a missions heart? Not do I give, not do I pray, not do I have a missions heart? Because if you get a missions heart, I see some young people in here this morning and their heart is going to be to go to the lost. Their heart is going to be to get in the Bible Institute. Their heart is going to be and say, Pastor, brother, sister, train me, teach me, guide me, disciple me, show me how to take this heart of zeal that I have and get on the mission field, wherever that may be, if our heart is that way. I see some uh, slightly older people in here this morning, you know, sitting down, and you probably, you know, spend half your week walking the dog, uh, reading the paper, uh, heaven forbid, watching daytime TV, and then you, f- you faithfully come out to church and think, you know, I come to my church, and praise God. So, well, I'm so old, what, what could I do? Well, I'd put it the other way, you're so old, you've got nothing to lose, man. Go to Baghdad. Go to <laughs> Afghanistan. I mean, I don't want to lose my head, but you've had your three score and ten. <laughs> I'm joking. But... It, I'm, but there is, there is a truth in there, isn't there? What is it that's holding us back from that that the Lord would have us to do for him? Because whatever it is, it's in our heart. It is not a physical obstacle. Give me thy heart, the Lord says. Will you give him your heart this morning? And this matter of missions, local, international, worldwide, will be taken care of. May the Lord help us to reach souls for Jesus Christ. May God bless you. Let's bow our heads this morning. Just for a moment, bow our heads before I ask Pastor Craig to come back up. As we bow our heads this morning, let's just think and ask the Lord. Let's just think together. Let's just dwell a moment and say, God, God, I, I, I really love my church. I love that I'm saved. God, I love that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. But God, I know my heart isn't fully in this great commission. And dear friend, if that is you this morning, then, then just stop listening to me right now. And just ask the Lord to help you with that. Ask the Lord to strengthen you. Ask the Lord to strengthen your heart to do the things that He alone is showing you 
to do that no one else knows. Ask the Lord to free you from the cares and deceits of this world, the things that strangle each and every one of us as Christians here. Brother, dear sister, ask the Lord to do that. You say, my heart is dark this morning. The distress, the desires, the despairs of this world have, over, have overwhelmed me. I've grown cold for the Lord. It doesn't matter what I read. It doesn't matter what I hear preached. I'm going through the motions this morning. Then, dear friend, you need to pray more than ever. Don't become lukewarm. Don't even become cold. God would have you hot. Strengthen the things which remain and start the things that need to be started. Dear God, I just thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that you saved us. God, I thank you for all that we have to look forward to. But God, I thank you for everything we have today. God, I thank you for the life that you've given us today. I thank you for the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Father, that's not the crazy name it and claim it. It's just the fact, the contentment that we can have in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd raise up within this church right here, within these folks right here, young people with a heart to turn away from many of the things of the world to get out, Lord, on that mission field, to have a heart to plant churches, to have a heart to see souls saved. And our God in heaven, I thank you, and I think even of Brother Dan and his wife, Lord, in older years, came away from a job, got wonderfully saved and surrendered, serve the Lord. Father, we, we're never done. We can always be useful. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there's any dear older saint in here this morning thinking, what can I do? Then, Lord, would you show them what they can do? We've all got a part to play, Lord. Help us not to have a miser's heart, but a mission's heart.